you have your Bibles, we'd like to look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 9 of Titus chapter 2. Please follow along, uh, if you would, as I read. Titus 2, starting at verse 9. It says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives at the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, as we embark on this passage of Scripture, what wonderful truths of your gospel, what a wonderful understanding of the impact of your gospel on our past, on our present, and on our future, the impact of your gospel in our daily lives as we struggle with emotions, with situations that are so hard things that we know we ought to do, but we don't. And God, I pray that as we look at the power of your gospel, that we may not forget what all you've done for us, that you've not left us here without the source of power to accomplish that which you have called us to do. Father, I I ask that you would help me to be driven by your gospel today that it may not be my own desires, my own flesh, but it might be indeed your word and the truth of your gospel that is heard today, that is uh, permeating our time and impacting the lives of those who listen, whether in this building or online, that indeed we will know that we have to be dependent upon your gospel and that you would indeed get the glory from that. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. We've been studying the book of Titus. We're getting right about that point where we're kind of landing the plane in regard to what Paul has been telling Titus about how to, in a sense, set things in order, and how that we ought to do things as a church, and how that he, as he comes alongside that church, can be of great impact. And that whole pursuit is not just simply so that he could put elders there or whatever, but so that godliness might be manifested in the church. You see, Titus was in a very difficult place. Crete was not a place known for their godliness. They were known mostly for their lack of truthfulness. So to come into that area... And to be able to impact it with the godliness was very important. And then we see, as, as Paul has worked his way through various roles in the church, uh, roles that tend to be what 
where people might be in the age and stage of life or position, now he goes into an area that, quite frankly, I would tell you is very hard for me to grasp. And I don't know if you've had those things in your life where you felt that God is asking too much of you or that it just doesn't seem fair or that you're capable, that you might be in a physical challenge that's beyond your comprehension or a personal relationship issue that might be beyond what you can bear. And you're thinking, where is that way of escape that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? I'd like to find it right now. And you're thinking, how could God anticipate these things? And then you read this uh, in the uh, ninth verse. He talks about the bondservants. The servants of that day, those who were slaves to other people, owned by other people, was a very common thing. A great amount of people in the Roman uh, culture were slaves. They owned nothing. As a matter of fact, they were owned. And they had nothing that they could actually have freedom in. And Paul, as he's addressing Titus, he's giving him these words that they are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And I'm thinking, I'm having, honestly, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around that, you know, of, of what it would be like to be in a situation where you knew your whole life was being controlled by someone else and you're told to submit yourself to them. That word master is the word we get uh, despot from. That doesn't have a positive connotation in my mind. When someone would say, hey, despot. I mean, that would not, don't do that for me, okay? Uh, don't call me that. But that means ultimate authority and power in their life. And folks, there's times we feel out of control of something. Somebody else seems to hold the keys of what, uh, what is going on. And we fear the, where they're going with their, with their lives and such. And as I, as I look at the full spectrum of where, where these bond servants are, uh, more than likely not choosing to be where they are, to have somebody else calling all the shots in their life. And, and Paul is saying, make yourself submissive in everything. That's the who, the bond servants. And I just want to look at the what. What is that? What, what is being a submissive or, a, or aligning yourself up underneath? Uh, allowing them to not only see our outward obedience, but the inward. And that's the hard thing. Isn't it so much easier to give someone the idea that you're following them than to genuinely follow them? And uh, Paul is talking about genuineness, <laughs> that they might be well-pleasing, well-pleasing, that, that, that the goal might be to, to try to uh, come alongside them and have them be excited about what my life is. Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. In other words, not taking things that are there when, when uh, the master's not looking, but showing all good faith or being willing to consider the needs of that master that you could be trustworthy. That's the what. And he gives the information as to the why. Because this is important. Because why would we do that? Why would we want to align ourselves underneath someone who may not at all have any interest of following God? 
that may not be kind at all, that may not even have my interests in mind. He says the why of that is this, so that in everything the bondservants may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That word adorn, I have really no, well, I take it back, I do have a little bit of experience with this. Okay, the word adorn is the word where we get cosmetics from, okay? Now, I got to clarify this, why I got a little bit of experience. When I was a senior in high school, I was a mime, okay? And I put a lot of cosmetic on, all white, and, uh, and it was in black, and it was yucky, and I don't know why, yeah, anyway. But the, cosmo, the cosmetics is that adorning. Of, of making it look good, making it look good on us. And what Paul is saying for the bondservant is that they need that, des- that desire to do what is right, even in a hard situation, so that the doctrine of God, our Savior, is adorned. So often we just want to say, okay, we've got our doctrine, these are our doctrines, then we've got our life. But we, we fail to realize that as we live out the truth of God's word, that we are actually adorning the doctrines. As a biblical counselor, often I'm dealing with people that would say, I have no doctrinal issue. I have personal issues. I have issues with myself. I have issues with somebody else. I have issues with my circumstances. But they don't realize that their doctrine drives all their reactions to those things. And when they choose to believe God for who he is and understand the power of the gospel to come into their lives, when they live that out, the gospel, the word of God, that doctrine is adorned in their life. So, But the question is the how. Looking back over the things that was expected of those uh, bond servants, let's just look at some of those. First of all, can I align myself under their authority? This individual in my life that seems to hold the keys and has an impact on my life and I'm not sure I trust them in the direction they want to go, can I? How can I? Align myself up underneath that situation. We're talking about individuals whose lives are controlled by a despot. Probably very few of us are in that situation. Okay? Very few of us are in a situation where we are destitute of options and choice. Um, I would say none of us, but I can't speak for everyone. But the idea is when you look at that spectrum and you look at the things that we wrestle with in our relationships of wanting to be obedient to God and to be adorning the gospel, uh, adorning the doctrine uh, that we look at, there are those times when we struggle to align ourselves up underneath someone. There are times when we look at the direction they're going and we're not sure about it. And there are times that we have to ask, how can I do that? If I'm convinced that God has placed me in this position to follow, how do I do that? Can I will myself to please them? Thinking about that, uh, that statement that they might be uh, uh, well-pleasing to them. Can I make it my desire not just to follow all the rules, not just to try to get through the loopholes and accomplish what needs to be so I can say I've been obedient, but to really, really make it my desire to be well-pleasing 
to them? Or how can I control my tongue when I want to complain about this or complain about that? How do I control my tongue in these types of situations? And then how, how can I actually protect their interests, not pilfering, not uh, if it's at a job situation, not wasting time that they're paying for, wasting resources, uh, thinking about all those ways where we might actually set something aside for ourselves, hold back for ourselves. That's the meaning of the word pilfering, to hold back, to kind of put it in my account. And usually you think of that from a financial way where somebody is actually embezzling but there's so many other ways in which we can hold back in this, uh, this process of aligning ourselves up underneath somebody and thinking, how can I do this? And I would say the answer that uh, Paul is going to give Titus to give to those bond servants is this, uh, or how can I be loyal, that, that one there as well, is the gospel that frees us from sin. A gospel that allows us to work with who we are, who we've been, who we will be, and, uh, and gives us the power to respond in such a way that indeed adorns the gospel. So as we, as we look at this how, it brings us to our outline in your, in your scriptures, is to how does the gospel impact us and help us with sin? Years ago when I was in Bible college, I heard a very simple outline that talks about what salvation is the three aspects of salvation, that there is a salvation that is really about our past in that it deals with the, the penalty of our sin. And we call that justification. Then there's the gospel that deals with our current, that uh, deals with our sin and the power that it has over us, and that uh, that deals with our sanctification and then the third one was our future, that as we battle with sin and as we work towards becoming more like Jesus Christ, that there will be that day, that day when we will be with Christ and when we're with him, we'll be like him. And that would be the glorification that Paul talks about so often when he considers that. And that's what, we're gonna, that's what our next outline is about. It's just simply these things that remind us of the gospel, whether it's talking about the justification, the sanctification, the glorification. All of these are critical to help us deal with these hard things in our lives that we just struggle to want to be obedient in. Whether it's being obedient to another person or even aligning ourselves up underneath God. Or we might say, I know what God wants, but how do we do this is because of the gospel. Let's just walk through this really quickly as we, as we think through the truth of this gospel. He says this, he says, uh, uh, my, my summary of it, no longer condemned by sin, we are free from its penalty so that we can love. When you think about what Christ did for us and we look at the fact that we are... Uh, enemies of God, and that we do not have a standing with God, we are condemned, and the gospel comes in to change that relationship. Paul says it this way in verse 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. The word grace, we, we, uh, God riches at Christ's expense. We could talk about that unmerited favor. It's something you don't deserve. It's something that, as a matter of fact, it's not even something you should have. 
and that uh, if anyone were to give it to you, it would be a great act out of, re- uh, it would be unreasonable. It would not be a reasonable thing to do. And so our salvation that we have, this grace that has appeared to us, is something that is really truly undeserved. I would challenge if you have felt that you deserved to be right with Christ and that you've done enough to gain his approval that you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is our total inability to be able to please a holy God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That we are incapable of pleasing him. That outside of Jesus Christ, we can't even align ourselves up underneath him. And that we might understand that our sin separates us from him. That no matter what age we are, we are not right before God until we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And that requires us to, to, to humble ourselves, to realize we can't do this on our own. We are totally needing God's help. The next word is destitute, bringing salvation for all people. That we are totally destitute. Yesterday, we had the privilege of going out to our back door. We only have one door. But we went out our back door, front door, side door of our trailer. And uh, as we came out, uh, there was a, a, a bunch of tractors going down one way and a bunch of cars going another way. And we walked around, met some people and such. And Marty saw a car she really liked. She picked it out by the color. She says, I like that color. It's really cool. It's a 1951 Ford. Uh, and that's about all I know about it as far as that. It's a 1951 Ford, some form of green, like a sea green, I think it was what it was. A sea green Ford vehicle. And we sat down and talked with the, uh, the owner of that 1951 Ford. And it looked beautiful. And we would never have known its backstory. But just a few years ago, that Ford was in a field rusting with uh, old shedded snakeskins and a dead mouse in it, okay? And they resurrected that car. And and it's almost like it needed a sign on it that said, you know, cardboard sign? Two years ago, I was in a field with snakeskins and a dead mouse in it, okay? So that people could appreciate what was adorning that beautiful paint job. They had to redo the whole underside One foot up, the whole car had to be redone to accommodate for what nature had done to that thing. And I wonder sometimes if we don't need similar, okay? People see us and they think we're all shiny and everything is so great. We need a cardboard sign that says, only so so many years ago, this was blank. But the grace of God, the gospel of God came into my life when I was destitute, without any hope, powerless to become anything. That's what the gospel is. And when we use that kind of thought as we take on challenges, things that we don't like, things that are difficult for us, things that don't go our way, recognizing that we are destitute. The whole concept of mercy is revolving around the idea that God in his mercy took us as destitute and gave us a whole new life. And what a great joy is it that we can experience that. But even greater is that other people to see our light shine. And that they would see us not as something that's all put together. That's all beautiful, shiny, 
see green. But they might see us as a product of God's grace and mercy, working us over so that we might adorn and bring glory to him, not our own selves. And then he says, who have gave himself, this is, I'm skipping down a little bit, because it still talks about this concept of new life, because he gave himself uh, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. That, that word redemption is, is just the idea of being bought out of and released. That uh, no longer part of the slave market. And that, that would resonate with what they're just talking about, the bond servants, just imagining what it would be like to be free and to no longer be subject to someone else. And this is what he's done for us. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. You see, we are in bondage to our sin. We are in bondage to our flesh. We are in bondage to be obedient to Satan and follow those ways. As we are an enemy of Christ, we are released from that. And we have new life because of it. And when, uh, you know, when uh, they, uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus and Nicodemus was told, you must be born again, Nicodemus had a hard time conceiving that. He had, he had a hard time uh, uh, realizing what all that meant. Uh, but the idea is that he's condemned already, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we know that at that time, when we become born again, we become a child of God and a new babe in Christ because we've been redeemed in this area. And that uh, knowing that this is important, this penalty... We're freed from the penalty. No longer condemned by sin. We are free from its penalties of love. This is that awesome, important term, justification. This means I'm not burdened by shame. I can love other people. I can serve people because I'm not being burdened out with shame. I can have the confidence of a loving father in my life. I can have the freedom to go, not as someone who's burdened down with my sin and my shame, I can instead be free to talk about the great joys of a relationship with God and how important that is as we see adorning the doctrine to other people. Do people see us that way? Do people see us truly free of our sin or do we seem so sad at times? Do we seem so sober in the sense that, that this life is so overwhelming? Or are we like that uh, pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress when that burden was rolled off his back and goes down into the grave when he came to the cross that we feel light? I remember the day when I truly accepted Christ my Savior. It was a toiling and toiling and toiling, fighting with my own pride, fighting with things. It went on for months and then hit the, uh, a sprint week at camp where it was a daily thing. And, and it was so much uh, pain and such. But when I, when I finally accepted Christ my Savior and became a child of God, I 
literally, I know this, this is kind of hard to imagine because of my status in life now, but at 13 years old, I was a little more spry, but I literally like jumped off the deck in excitement as to what God had done for me because I carried that burden for so long. And to realize that, and the thing of it is, that was back in 1975, and my sadness is that I should have that same kind of attitude today, that God has lifted a great burden from me, and that should allow me to interact with people in a way that impacts their lives. I have a right relationship with God, that, that allows me then to have a right relationship with other people. I've experienced his mercy. I can share his mercy with others. I'm not driven by fear. Fear of what other people think of me. Fear of what might happen. My God has it all under control. And if he was powerful enough to save me uh, from myself and from the destination that I was going, he's powerful enough to take care of things. And I can move forward in mercy. I don't have to think about how someone else has to meet my expectations of them because Jesus helped me meet the expectations of the Father. It wasn't that I finally got it right. It wasn't that I finally was good enough. I was destitute, remember? And it required placing my faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he died on the cross for my sins. He paid the whole penalty. He was my substitute, and he made it possible for me to be free from the penalty of sin. And it's true for each one of us. And some of you have not accepted that yet. And if you would, you would be free from that penalty, and you would understand the great joy of a relationship with Christ. Some of you have done that and have forgotten and you need to remember what the power of the gospel does for you and how that is so critical to, to moving forward through these hard things that God asks of us to lean in him and to recognize he has the power to give us this mercy. Now, we're free from the power of sin in that we no longer are slaves to it and we're free from his power to serve Christ I uh, like way Paul says it to the Colossians as he's writing to them. He says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He's introducing this concept of what the ongoing salvation, if you would, the sanctification in the same facet in which we were, in a sense, destitute to in our own flesh, in our own ability to justify ourselves in the same way we're to walk. That same faith, that same dependence upon his grace, we walk to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, we recognize that there is this, this uh, change in our lives. Now, some of you have been around babies of recent. Uh, we now are enjoying the grand baby stage of life. And as a result of that, we are not as concerned about these things because we don't see them as often. But... I recall when babies came into the world, they actually, I'll just say it, don't want to be offensive to anyone, they bring with them some bad habits, okay? They really do. I don't know where they got it from. They didn't have, I mean, they didn't have anybody to observe or anything, but they come in with some bad habits, like not sleeping the right times, like always demanding things, like uh, all sorts of things. That, that, that we find as parents are our responsibility to, to help them have more mature habits 
as they grow up in life. Of course, you don't dump them all on them the first week, right? We've got to spread it out a little bit. But that's what it's like when it says this word here. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness. That word training is the same words for training up a child, helping a child change their habits, helping a child do better, to improve, and to be someone that can be productive and accomplish and navigate and survive life. And that God has the same kind of desire for us as we are newborns in Christ to be trained to move forward. We call that the sanctification, but it has this concept of renouncing. In a sense, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. By nature, those things are easy for us to do. Worldliness, <laughs> passions, and ungodliness. That's where our bent is. That's where our nature wants to go. That's where our sin nature wants to take us. But we can train that through the scriptures and become more like the Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, because that next word is to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. When the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there's none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousnesses are filthy rags. There is nothing that we can do good outside of Christ. Now he's telling us that we can live and we can move forward and have a great impact in this new status as being a child of God. This is that sanctification, being self-controlled, upright, living godly lives in this present age. In this age of our lives, in the here and now, we can live for That's how Paul anticipated that those bondservants would be able to do the things that he talked about so we could adorn the gospel, adorn the doctrine of God is because of this gospel that not only saved them from sin, but saves them to, from the power of sin. Uh, it reminds me of this passage. It might be very common to you folks. Uh, if you use biblical counseling, this is an area where our, us biblical counselors, our Bibles open up to this passage of Scripture. Because it talks about the process of sanctification, that there will be things that we put off from our lives. We're renewing our minds, using the Word of God, allowing the Spirit of God work in our lives to see things from a biblical perspective. And then we put on those things which are essentially those things that are of Christ. And so we have that, uh, that process, and it's a, they call it progressive sanctification or a progressive setting aside or a progressive change in growth because it takes time to continually put some things off, renew the mind, put other things on. Paul is emphasizing this in this passage where we see the renouncing ungodliness, putting off, and to live, putting on self-control, uprightness, and uh, godly living. So these are the things that we, we see in this sanctification process. So that would be not only a, an ability that we didn't have before, but also a purpose. He gave himself, verse 14, he gave himself to purify for himself people for his own possessions. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where it says, uh, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, and that, that we are not our own. The Bible tells us all things are made by him and all things are made for him. We are stewards to live for Jesus Christ. And here Paul is talking about us being a, a people for his own possession. 
That God has some great plans for us in regard to this. That he is the one who owns us. Right after the COVID restrictions started, uh, Marty and I were, uh, had been really wanting to replace a pickup truck that we had to, to say goodbye for. It was a 1993 Ford, uh, excuse me, Dodge Dakota. And uh, some of you say, Dakota, that's not a pickup. That's just a car with a thing on the back. Um, but uh, anyway, it was our pickup, and uh, it had rusted out, and we just didn't have the means to, to fix all that, so we, we donated it. And then from then on, my uh, farmer's daughter wife said, we need to get a pickup. You know, we need to get a pickup. And we were looking around at pickups, and I'm, I'm getting really worn out with the pickup thing, all right? So right after covid started shutting things down. There was an auction not far from here that is supposed to be a live auction, but they couldn't, so they put it all online. And I thought, well, I can handle that. I don't stand around and look at stuff and all that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm into that. I'm into this online thing. And, and uh, next thing I know, there's this pickup that's on there. We targeted that, and we were going to, uh, to uh, consider bidding on, etc. I was in, on my way traveling from uh, Ames to here when the auction was going on. So I'm listening to it as, as we're going along. And I finally get here and they've gone through all the items prior to the pickup. And right as I pull in and get into the office here, I, uh, it's up for auction. And it's, it's, it's an opportunity for me to bid. And so I bid on it. And then somebody else bids me up from Chicago and I go, now oh, they can have it. And then they, they contact me and said, would you go? Just another $100. I go, $100. Sure. Oh, so I hit the button. Okay. Now, I'm ahead, and I'm thinking, oh, Chicago guy or dude or whatever is going to, he's going to bid up, and now I'm out, because now I can say in earnest, I can tell Marty, I really tried to get this truck, and, uh, and I really bid on it. I actually bid on it twice, okay? And uh, so next thing I know, going once, going twice, sold. I'm going, oh no, I bought this pickup. It's over in Fort Madison. How am I going to get it? You know, what's going to go on? So I call up Marty and said, Marty, I accidentally bought a pickup. Uh, so we, we figured it all out. Um, Kevin Wagler uh, drove me down there and we, we got to it. Hadn't seen a thing, okay? Just some pictures that someone could have been stock photos as far as I know. And so I'm going in there, sight unseen, pick up the thing and, uh, and, and find out that, wow, okay, this is pretty good. I made it back without getting an accident or anything like that. And so uh, we still have it and you can see it out, out, out there. But, but that was uh, a new ownership for us. We owned it. We bid on it. We paid for it. We purchased it, just as that redemption thing that was talked about earlier. And that's what it was. Now we get to use it for how we want to use it, within the confines of the law, obviously, and other restrictions. But it, it is for us. And, and the same thing with God, that he has a purpose for us, that we might be uh, zealous for good works. Zealous. That we might have a drive to do it, excited about it. We don't just have to serve Jesus. We get to. We're excited about it. We're excited about the good works. I don't just have to not do worldly, ungodly things. I get to be free from those things with great zeal and do good works. The, uh, the pickup that we purchased 
had less than, I think about, it had about 18,000 miles on it. It was seven years old. That thing was not used for much, okay? Tell you what, though, we're using it, you know? And uh, the next seven years is going to get more than 18,000 miles on it. And the next seven years, it's not going to look as shiny as what it does right now. Because the goal of buying it was so that it would accomplish things. The goal of Jesus purchasing you was to accomplish things. Not just for you to sit for seven years and look good at the end. And oh, we want to preserve it, want to keep it going, but our heart's desire is that we'll do things for Jesus and that God will be pleased with our investment and our stewardship. And that's the same thing he wants for us. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are free from its power to serve Christ. We're going through that process of sanctification. We're not ruled by sin. Uh, we are set aside for God, and we are equipped to do good works. Those are all exciting things that we can rejoice in. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the power of sin. And then we also will be free from the presence of sin. That struggle with our flesh and our desires and our tendencies and our sin and all that kind of stuff will soon be gone. It says no longer destined to sin. We will be free from its presence for all eternity. This also is a gift from God. Paul says this, we're waiting for their blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. This is our focus. It is so easy to get distracted about what's going on in the world. All the things that are different. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why do I have to do this? Why are these things not the same? 2020 really stinks. You know, why can't it be the way it should be? Way, way, I drafted it out in January or December. Why is it so different? Why is it so hard? Why does it have to be this way? And why are these other people making it this way? Type of thing. Our God is still on the throne. And you know what? I don't think God just basically gets all uptight because it's 2020 and it hasn't gone well. God has a bigger plan. God has an eternal plan. And if we could get on board with that and recognize that the things that are going on today are just for things that are today, but my focus is on what's going to happen in eternity, that the things that are struggling with right now, that as Paul says, uh, that uh, you know, these sufferings will not compare to the glory that we have, that we will be able to move forward on. Or as, as uh, John says this, he says, uh, uh, we're... We're, we're encouraging us that uh, there's a blessed hope uh, that we are moving forward uh, to, to anticipate. Now, again, the word waiting is not how we typically wait. We wait like, you know, uh, this is a waiting of anticipation for something good. Honestly, my stomach wasn't a knot when I hadn't yet seen the truck and I wasn't sure what I did and how I may have foolishly invested or wasted God's money. And as I thought about that, that was not a good waiting period for me. That was not an easy drive down there because my stomach was wondering what was going on and as a result, that waiting was hard. But this is the kind of waiting we know it's good. We know that as John chapter 14, where Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. I go and prepare a place for you. There's something better than this life. And, and we ought to focus on that. And then he has the emphasis of the glorification, that appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The glory will be far beyond the sufferings that we have in this world. And we know that when we see him, we will be like him. This is where John is saying this, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We can lean into God, get his help, his grace to continually work through the challenges of this world to become more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can feel sometimes we go two, two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes we feel like we've gotten diverted and we've gotten to where we're not going in a good direction. Sometimes we don't feel like we look more like him now than we did five years ago. But there will be that day when we will be with him and we will no longer be hampered by the sin and the temptations of this world when he appears. And that's something that should drive us through these times and help us deal with those hard things that God expects of us. We are no longer destined to sin. We will be free from its presence for eternity. The glorification, the hope that, that, that stands before us, that, that vision, that, that life is greater on the other side, will help us give more meaning to life. As Paul said in Corinthians, if our life was just what it is right now, we would all be miserable. But you know, sometimes I wonder if we don't live like it is just now. That we don't focus on the fact that we'll spend eternity. We get so caught up in our citizenship here, we forget it is not here. It's in glory where we'll spend forever with God and we will look like him for one time, uh, for eternity uh, and to live for him. And it gives us the hope then to press on and to go through these difficult times. I believe Paul was giving Titus a tall order to work with the people in Crete, to help them work through some things. And there was a lot and lot of expectations. You look at the list after list of lists, what kind of character they should have, etc. And even that challenge, and I, like I said, the challenge to these bond servants to live in such a way that they would not only just be obedient and line themselves up underneath somebody else, but to have a genuine heart desire for the interests of that despot. And how can we do that? Only because of the gospel only because of what he's done and only because of what he's done to pay for our penalty, what he has done to give us power over sin today and that promise of a, an eternity being like him. He concludes this way. Just said all these things. He said, now declare these things, all right? You declare them, exhort and rebuke with all authority. That doesn't mean the authority's in him, all right? It's not about him being authoritative. It's about him taking the authority of the word of God and the authority and power of the gospel that we all should submit ourselves to and rebuke and exhort and declare. 
And let no one disregard you because you have the gospel. Father, I pray as we think of those individuals that you bring our life in contact with that need the gospel. But Father, if we are not rejoicing in the fact that you've covered the penalty, that you're helping us with the power, and you will remove us from the presence of sin, uh, woe be to us as we try to give hope to someone else. Lord, I pray that we will bask in these truths, this gospel that will power us through the challenges of our lives, that we might indeed show and adorn the great doctrines that we believe in and that we would fight for. Help it be adorned in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.